Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. One hundred years ago today, the Times announced to its readers what it called the most sensational Egyptological discovery of the century. A few weeks earlier, a boy had dug a small hole in which to stand a water jug and hit a stone step. Uncovered, the steps led down to a sealed door. Inside that door was a passage, and beyond the passage were such treasures as you could hardly dream of. They had found the lost tomb of the pharaoh Tutankhamun, a wonder of the world. Tutankhamun is the sensation of the age. People would be all over any newspaper and any images that they could get their eyes on. Which was great news for the Times because we had exclusive reporting rights to the discoveries inside the tomb. Outside was a different matter. All roads lead to Tutankhamun these days, and whenever one rides out along the picturesque canal bank or across the rocky waste, past the native cemetery, leading to the entrance of the Valley of the Kings, there is a never-ending string of people on donkeys or in sandcarts along the road or over the hill, all moving in the direction of or from the newly discovered tomb. I remember as a teenager the sensation when, 50 years later, some of the artefacts were brought to London to be exhibited at the British Museum. Treasures of Tutankhamun and the golden bronze trumpet found in Tutankhamun's tomb welcomes us to this marvellous exhibition. An exhibition that people are queuing up to see at the rate of over 32,000 a week. You're listening to Stories of Our Times, The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm David Ronovich. Today, Tutankhamun and The Times, The Scoop of a Century. Once, in Cairo, at the end of a day of filming in 2003, I found myself in the old Museum of Antiquities, almost alone and face-to-face with the golden funerary mask of King Tutankhamun. I looked at him and marvelled. He looked back at me from 3,000 years through quartz and obsidian eyes. For all but 90 of those years, the mask and all the other extraordinary and beautiful objects buried with the boy king, had lain hidden, unseen. 
until 1922. The opening of the tomb and the revelation of its contents represent perhaps the most spectacular archaeological discovery of all time. And the Times got the exclusive rights to report and photograph it. How that happened can be pieced together by some excavation in the newspaper's archive. So here I am, a hundred years on, with the man who does that digging. My name is Nick Mays. I'm the company's archivist. My role in the business is to look after all the company's hard copy documents and artefacts. Nick has brought with him a large trolley on which are heavy, wide, bound volumes of past editions of the Times and brown folders containing historic documents from the 1920s, though the archive begins much earlier than that. We have material going back to uh, the founding of the Times, in uh, 1785. You have stuff from 1785? Well, actually, we have stuff from 1784. We have the deeds for John Walter buying the King's printing house and setting up his printing business from where he starts the time. So that's really the earliest bit of company history. And then we go right the way up to the present day. There you are with the Times archive going back all those years. Now, the year we're looking at in the first instance is 100 years ago, 1922. Can you remind us just for a moment What was going on in 1922? George V was on the throne. We saw a change of government in the UK. There was a general election. Lloyd George and the coalition government were ousted by Bonalore and the Conservatives. The BBC was founded. The Irish Free State came into being, although despite being free, George V was still its monarch. The newspaper market was absolutely huge. There were far more newspapers and largely selling far more, of course, because there was almost no other form of communication than newspapers, and people would buy very often more than one. It wasn't unknown for people to be buying newspapers at opposite ends of the scale and so on to get their news. The Times itself was very much viewed as the establishment paper and very often by people abroad, somewhat wrongly, as being, in effect, the voice of the British government. It had connections with newspapers all over the world, Really from the 1890s through to the end of the First World War, it had been developing a news service to sell its news stories out to other newspapers. It seems strange to a modern sensibility, but if you picked up a copy of the Times in 1922, the front page consisted of the masthead and then just advertisements. You'd have to turn to the middle for the news. It was mainly the sort of the personal advertising, business advertising. The heart of the times in those days was the centre spread from the main news stories on the left page and then what was called the turnover column because the column usually went over the page onto the next page. That's where the in-depth reporting or the slightly more features or non-news reporting went. Despite this lack of concession to populism... (laughs) Even so, in 1922, the Times brought in a new feature, didn't it? So the Times had been producing pictures earlier, a few, random, but this was the idea of bringing all the pictures that would ever be published onto one single page every day. And that only came in in March 1922. The quality of the pictures that appear is actually pretty good for the period. What they can't do is colour. Meanwhile, in Egypt, George Edward Stanhope Molyneux Herbert, 5th Earl of Carnarvon, 
amateur Egyptologist and funder of expeditions, was beginning to despair of his latest venture. He had been putting up the money for a series of digs near Luxor in Egypt by the archaeologist Howard Carter. So far, nothing special had been discovered. Carnarvon was about to call time on the project. Then a boy dug a hole that led to a door. Carter wired Carnarvon, and Carnarvon contacted the Times. We have a confidential memo from Henry Wickham's deed, who was the editor at the time, to Gordon Robbins, who was the wonderfully named day editor, advising him that Carnarvon has received this news of an untouched and apparently royal tomb in the Valley of the Kings, and that he is anxious for us to have the first and exclusive news of the discovery and of the contents of the tomb when it is opened. And we're looking at a Browning typewritten note. There's nothing about it that will tell you that what's in it is really significant. It's very understated. So, before heading off back to Egypt, because he's just been told by Carter that they've found something, that contact is made. And then the Times runs a report a couple of weeks later in the paper. Tell us about what that says. I shall go and haul the first of the bound volumes. Now Nick now gets up and he goes over to this... The absolutely enormous bound tone. Oh, God, you can see the, the smell of it. <laughs> it's quite something. So, this enormous paper. You, you wonder how people actually manage to read a paper this big. Under the headings, an Egyptian treasure, great find at Thebes, Lord Carnarvon's long quest. Our Cairo correspondent reports the news. Oh, but look at that as well, look. Valley of the Kings, then brackets, by runner to Luxor. Luxor is kind of the name of Thebes as well, of of modern Thebes. By runner. Of course. We had to get the news back. Literally would be somebody holding the copy and going with it physically probably to the nearest telegraph station, to dispatch back to the Times. This afternoon, Lord Carnarvon and Mr Howard Carter revealed to a large company what promises to be the most sensational Egyptological discovery of the century. And there it is on page 13. It's not on the front page. Nice little map there showing you where Cairo is in relationship to Thebes and Luxor. Honestly, I could spend all year looking at that. We looked earlier at the memo from November the 14th, the internal memo that says, look, there's something on here for us. And it's a memo that preludes an agreement between the Times and Lord Carnarvon. Now can we come to the agreement that they actually make? And you have, I think you have a copy of it. No, this this is an original. This is the agreement between the Times and the Right Honourable George Edward Stanhope Molyneux Herbert, Earl of Carnarvon, hereafter <laughs> referred to as the Earl, and the Times Publishing Company Limited, hereinafter referred to as the Times of the other part. On paper, no wider, but longer than A4, bound by a small piece of thread and bearing the creases from where it was folded in four, this formal-looking document, dated to January the 9th, 1923, sets out the agreement by which the Times will report news of the excavation. 
the Earl has agreed to appoint the Times sole agents for the sale throughout the world to newspapers, magazines and other publications of news articles, interviews and the photographs, other than cinematograph and coloured photographs, relating thereunto on the terms and conditions which are then set out below. So we pretty much, and, and we of course is the Times I'm speaking at the moment, we pretty much have the whole thing. Yes. To ourselves. Yes. Now, who signed this? So this copy of the contract is signed on the last page. I, I, I have never seen this done before, and I presume it was a convention of, of the era. So yes. witness to the signature of the Earl of Carnarvon is uh, uh, somebody's signature, which I can't actually read off the top of my head. It's such beautiful writing, it's illegible. Um, and then over the sixpence stamp with the head of George V is... The one word, Carnarvon. Why would Carnarvon want to make that deal with us, do you think? Two reasons. From his perspective, the last thing he wanted during the excavation was to have every newspaper in the world pouring over the excavation and having to deal with all these reporters, photographers and so on on the site and taking up the time of people and getting in the way. He wanted to have a single conduit for all that information out. I mean, these days, probably you just appoint a PR firm and they would handle it all for you and so on. What the Times brought to the table, as I mentioned earlier, is the fact we had an excellent news service in place anyway. And part of that was that a lot of the newspapers that took the service based their London correspondence, if they had them, in the Times building. Essentially, we were acting partially as a news agency in some ways. A little bit. I mean, it was about reusing our material and reselling our material out, which is a practice that was going on before and certainly obviously has gone on completely since and is something we do to this day. With the development of the picture page, we were now looking to move that out into pictures as well. What we've got is this ex extraordinary agreement. The Times is an attractive publishing partner for the reasons you've said, gets rid of all those people milling around otherwise and also has these links to all these kind of other people. What do we pay? We paid the Earl £5,000 as the fee for this exclusive arrangement. That's about a quarter of a million pounds in today's money. The announcement of the contract being given to the Times is published on January the 10th oh. under the headings The Tomb of the King, Contract Given to the Times, Exclusive Service of News, Lord Carnarvon's Plans. Five days later, the Times' first exclusive report from Luxor is published. And comes under the splendid headings of The Luxor Find, Work of Removal, Preserving the Treasures, Eager Pilgrims. Eager Pilgrims. Filed from our special correspondent in Luxor, January the 13th. Yes, there's quite a lot in that, actually. It's, it's, one, it's one column, and then, as you say, on the turn over the page. Again, it's on the right-hand side of the right centre spread, which is, as we now realise, a big place for the breaking of time stories. From our special correspondent, Luxor, January the 13th. On my return here, I find the interest in the romantic discovery of Lord Carnarvon and Mr Carter, far from diminishing with time, has increased. References in private letters from all parts, indeed, show that no other Egyptological discovery has fired the general imagination as Lord Carnarvon's has done. As true now as it was then. Indeed. 
While written stories from Egypt are sent back quite quickly via telegram, not the social media channel but an early form of electronic communication, the photographs take much longer, since the glass plates they are taken on need to be sent by post through Egypt, across the Mediterranean and through France, a journey that would take weeks. January the 20th here, on the picture page, there are a couple of photographs of excavating an Egyptian tomb. It's a very general view of that part of the Valley of the Kings. And then a picture at Tutankhamun's tomb of Mr. Howard Carter explaining the work at the tomb to Dr. Morton Howell, the American minister, and Mrs. Howell, <laughs> uh, and Mr. Arthur Mace, who is Carter's assistant. And I have to say that Carter does give off a very slight air of looking like a very thin version of Hercule Poirot at times. <laughs> <laughs> he does. What's also interesting about this page is that immediately, it's a picture page, it probably is. So underneath are pictures of winter sports in Switzerland. In other words, hey guys, we got pictures. Even at this point, Tutankhamun is the sensation of the age. It was the thing, the number of people who travelled to Egypt to look at the tomb and be taken into it. People would be all over any newspaper and any images that they could get their eyes on to see what was going on with this great story. The Times of 1923 promoted the scoop with posters or content bills, one of which remains in the archive. What we're looking at is a very simple yellowed piece of paper, just has the Times logo at the top, text, above and below a picture of one of the artefacts from the tomb and it just says very simply in pharaoh's tomb first pictures tuesday january the 30th 1923 it's a picture of it's a statue of a pharaoh holding a staff it looks as if the headdress and part of the staff are in gold just by the way it's glinting it is of course black and white it's very striking if we turn from the contents bill to the actual page that they were advertising, and there this it is, is the first picture page, headed Interior of Tutankhamun's Tomb, First Photographs. And there are four photographs on the page. The main one takes up over half the page. It's a huge picture. All four just show the images. So the statue you've just described actually is the one here on the bottom right. So it's a life-size statue over the arms of the remains of a fine linen fabric used as a protective covering. On the forehead is the royal cobra of inlaid bronze and gold. Mm. Then you've got pictures of the antechamber with the sealed doorway through into the inner chamber with a whole load of stuff, including this statue on the right. A fantastic chest, which, and I have to say, despite the fact that it's in black and white, for some reason, quite a lot of the magnificence still comes over, doesn't it? As well as the kind of extraordinary clutter of it, just the sheer amount of material there is. I mean, down here is that kind of wonderful, what's it, kind of bedstead or couch, which is in the shape of a thin lion with a tail. Then there seems to be some chariot wheels and... It sort of gives the impression almost of just being heaped in at times. It's not sort of neatly arranged always. It's just sort of stacked. Let's be clear. The readers of the Times, when they pick this up, are the first people actually in Britain to see these things. Yes. 
this is the part of the whole process of exclusivity. We get the pictures, we get them printed first. Oh, makes me feel quite weak at the knees just looking at it. Even now, I mean, 100 years later, nearly Indeed. 100 years later. Coming up, how much did the reporting of such an incredible story cost the newspaper? But first... I'm Mariella Frostrup, and every day on my show on Times Radio, we speak to some of the biggest names in the world of the arts, culture and politics. We bring you discussions about new social trends and all the latest news, views and interviews. We can only do this thanks to the subscribers of The Times and Sunday Times. Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. In 1923, the Times had secured the exclusive reporting and picture rights of the greatest archaeological discovery of the age. The deal cost the paper £5,000, around £250,000 in today's money. Cheap, you may think, but there were an awful lot of other costs that needed to be covered. We have a statement of expenditure and revenue prepared on the 25th of October 1923, so we're looking at a copy of a typescript document in fairly high-level information. And on the expenditure side, we have uh, the payment to Carnarvon. We have then three correspondence costs, the first of which is for salaries and allowances, which comes to £335, 10 shillings and 7 pence. The contributions. Contributions? What does that mean? I think we will have paid a number of people for various pieces that will have been written at various points to do with this. There are then a couple of other things. So we have cables, which is obviously getting all those news stories back to London, which comes to £1,165, 18 shillings. So that's a lot, a significant... I mean, the actual cost of the cabling is more than a fifth of the cost of the original contract. Yes. And so it's worth pointing out just how expensive that was. The cost to the Times is all about 
the cost of getting the information back to London. The cabling amounted to over £50,000 in today's money. And most killingly, and this leads to a whole separate document, is the expenses, which comes to £1,719.16 shillings and one pence. (laughs) And one pence. (laughs) And as usual, the manager of the paper, what would now be the equivalent of the managing editor's role on, on a modern newspaper, they were always keen to lower the costs, obviously. The manager writes to Harry Perry Robinson, leading the expedition out in Luxor, about the situation. His reply is full of splendid phrases, written on a piece of Times-headed notepaper with the name of the Winter Palace Hotel in Luxor. He writes, having confirmed that he's in touch with the day editor, he says, the expenses are the devil, and then goes on to explain the cost of everything, then At the end of this, we get this brilliant sentence. The amount of money that goes in daily boat and donkey hire and postage, especially of photographic plates, etc., is horrid. (laughs) Imagine him getting the, the, the chits from the guy who's hiring him the donkey to be able to show to the manager that actually the money's gone to where it's supposed to go. We know that the manager replied in... Great sanguifier, he says, I have absolute confidence in you carrying through the undertaking at minimal cost. (laughs) Brilliant. (laughs) On the revenue side, we actually covered the payment to Carnarvon. So the new service, we made £5,022, 12 shillings and three pence. Hey, 22 quid profit. And then we made a further £881, one shilling and 11 pence in photographic sales. We end up with the Times losing £2,657, 11 shillings and sixpence at the time on the whole deal. The other extra income not factored into the document is enhanced circulation, which increased by 10 to 20,000 copies on days when articles and pictures from the site were published. When the two main reports from Egypt appeared in February 1923, over 200,000 copies of the Times were sold. Some of the money will have come back in in that form. There are other hidden benefits. It obviously gave a great boost to the Times news service. Whether that brought in additional business as a result of this is impossible to actually quantify, but it will have done a lot of good for that nascent operation that they were were trying to push now with news and photographs. And also, of course, associating the Times name with Tutankhamun, which has brought a benefit which has gone right up to the present. When they came to uh, 1972 and there was the big exhibition at the British Museum. Treasures of Tutankhamun and the gold and bronze trumpet found in Tutankhamun's tomb welcomes us to this marvellous exhibition that people are queuing up to see at the rate of over 32,000 a week. The Times and the Sunday Times were the sponsors of that. Our name has been associated with this for 100 years in one form or another. Yeah, uh, it's, uh, that exhibition was sensational. I think it was the last time the mask of Tutankhamun came to London. I think it was the first major foreign exhibition of Tutankhamun material. 
and the Times and Sunday Times were able to sponsor it at least and to do so with a kind of degree of ownership is an odd word but kind of ownership of the story ownership in that kind of journalistic in that journalistic sense and as you're saying it cements the position of the Times as, as that big paper of, of record. It's something like Carnarvon's name and Carter's name that the Times is just tied to now in history and um, as long as our civilization is around and people want to write about Tutankhamun, some of what they will do will involve the Times name and the Times reports and so on. It's, it is just inextricably linked now. You can get a sense of just how important the story was to the Times back in 1923 from one of the last pieces from the archive that Nick shows me. The thin sheet of paper has the words Egyptian State Telegraph across the top. There's a very faint date stamp which says 2nd of March 1923. At this stage we've gone through the official opening, it's about a fortnight after that. They're into the inner chamber, the Times is full steam on reporting what's going on in the excavation, publishing photographs, it's all going very well. And... Who is this telegraph from and who is it to and what does it say? So this is from Alfred Gordon Robbins, who is the day editor, and it is to Harry Perry Robinson, who was in charge of the team out in Egypt, addressed to him at the Winter Palace in Luxor. He says in full, Your letter, 19th, received, full stop. Dawson, who's the editor, Lint Smith, the manager, all withdraw nothing from your congratulatory telegram, rather intensify it tenfold, full stop. Rest assured, in face unimaginable difficulties, you scored magnificent success obtaining one greatest coup's history times. In fact, one of the greatest scoops in the history of journalism. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times with me, David Aronovich, and my guest, Times archivist Nick Mays. You can read more about King Tutankhamun and the reporting on the discovery in a special supplement in print or online. The producer was Edward Drummond. The executive producer is Kate Ford. And sound design was by David Crackles. See you again soon.